It's Brianna with the Young Parents Podcast, back with another one of our episodes. If you put, if you paid attention to the last episode, we recently discussed reasons why it's important for parents to be aware of upcoming bills that will affect our school system. This week, we're going to be discussing Senate Bill 1647, 1142, and 1470. I'd like to start by introducing our guest speaker, then we'll go into more detail on these bills. Today, we have Tulsa World columnist Jenny Graham. She has been a reporter with the Tulsa World since 1994, covering social issues, education, and criminal justice. She holds a bachelor's degree in journalism and a master in public administration, and she is a native of Oklahoma. She's been in the Oklahoma school system. She speaks from experience and opinion. Um, her past honors include four sweepstakes, four, four sweepstakes, four first place awards, Associated Press, one chapter and two Reporter of the Year awards from the Great Plains Tulsa Press Club multi-state contest, and her notable stories have been investigations into child abuse and neglect, immigration issues, child care facilities, and mental health. That is quite, that is quite a record, Miss Graham, if I must say so. Well, when you, I've worked at the Tulsa World for 28 years, so when you're at one place for 28 years, especially in journalism, you end up covering a little of everything. So I think that that's how I explain my um, experiences. I just, I've covered a lot of different things, but my, I, I'm always drawn to things like social justice issues, which is health, education, our social net, uh, those things that are important in our infrastructure. So, uh, but then I've, I've since moved on to the opinion section where I'm the editorials editor. So, so now I can give my opinion on things and analysis. I love it. I, I I would like to say I'm I'm quite opinionated, though. Oftentimes a little too much, if you ask me. <laughs> but um, we'll go into City Bill 1647. And this was written by State Senator Rob Stanridge. And basically this bill is stating that no public school district, public charter school, or public school sh- library shall maintain its inventory or promote books that make as though their primary subject is to study sex, sexual preferences, sexual activity, sexual pervasion, sex-based classification, sexual identity, or gender, or gender identity that are of sexual nature that a reasonable parent or legal guardian will want to know or approve of prior to their child being exposed to it. People in favor of this bill believe that the purpose of the education system is to teach students about math, history, science, and other core areas of learning. Senator, state Senator Rob Stanrich has said that if the education system isn't the place to teach more, that the state education system isn't the place to teach moral lessons, it's a parent's job to do that. So I have to ask. I, I, I want to make one correction that I think that that's Senate Bill 1142. So you. It, you had misstated it as, as something different. But yeah, that's Senate Bill 1147. Oh, I called it 1647. You're right. 1147. We're going right. to get into 1647. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so just current thoughts on just that piece alone. Um, well, we've been against it from the get-go. It's just uh, that particular one also had, if I recall, uh, a lot of punishments. And it's geared toward public schools. Uh, but the punishments were toward the librarians. Like a parent could go in and demand a book be removed. And if the librarian didn't do it within 30 days, the librarian would be automatically fired. And then the, st- the state or the parents could sue the school district for uh, up to $10,000 for every day that book was not removed. 
And the problem, there's a lot of problems with it, which is, first of all, there's a lot of due process that it just jumps over. Every school district has a due process if a parent's upset with a book. And and they've had that. You know, Bixby had, went through that earlier this year with three different books that a parent got upset, thought it was inappropriate, and challenged it. Um, and it goes through a parent committee that reviews it. And there are all different types of options. Let's just say a book is objectionable. Well, you know, is it uh, maybe it's in a, a wrong placement? Maybe it shouldn't be there. Maybe it should be restricted to certain ages. So there are a lot of options. But I just, I, those kind of decisions need to be made within the school district, not the state level. And certainly those kind of punitive um that, that kind of punitive measures has no place in, in state government. But, you know, this just gets at, I mean, Rob Standridge runs these kind of bills. He's just, uh, he's been very anti-public education in a lot of his measures from vouchers to, but this one, he just has a real problem with LGBTQ um, issues and, and sex in particular. And this has been sort of a lightning rod issue is, Oklahoma lawmakers just don't like to talk about sex. I mean, they just, I don't know what it is. They just, they sort of, they don't, they don't want sex education. They don't want any of that. And then when it comes to, you know, sexual identity and gender, they just think it should be, you know, in the home. Well, that's not the reality of a lot of kids. You know, they don't come from homes. It's not Ozzy and Harriet from the 1950s anymore. And kids come to school with questions, with, with issues. And, and, lawmakers who don't want to deal with it want to ban it for everybody. And I just, I, I'm not for banning books, period. I think that maybe there are some uh, books that are more appropriate for certain ages, and we can certainly deal with that. But just to say you're not going to ban a book, you're not going to let books in public school, well, welcome to the internet. Let me see <laughs> this other place information. Right. So it's like, it, it just doesn't solve the problem. So uh, it, it's, but, um, but it did get out of the, the a committee. So it had a potential of being voted on by the full Senate, but it didn't. So hopefully it's dead for now. Um, but I have learned that nothing's truly dead at the at the legislature. Like Michael so Myers. The, yeah, I mean, that. everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the book banning, this is a new phenomena here. I mean, that it, it has just come about in the last. This is the fir- first session that. They're just talking about banning books outright, and I don't understand it. I, I, I hope that, unfortunately, and I'm glad you're doing this podcast, because a lot of times parents find out about something way too late. I was just talking to Hayden about that. Like it's already a law. Yeah, it's, it's already passed the Senate. It's already passed this. So trying to get parents to understand, and it's hard. I mean, I'm a parent too, and you have your day-to-day worries. You got to get the kids out the door. You got this. Well, in the background are people wanting to take away your kids' books, take, you know, mess with their curriculum, you know, ban them from participating in things for whatever reasons. And so I, I am glad you're doing this because these kind of laws always have, or these kind of bills always have a potential of getting. Back. I was just, I was literally just talking to Hayden about that. We were just recently looking at this new bill. Um, Shout out Bill, House Bill 3159. We were just talking about that in the newspaper. Um, and we were talking about how people in our age group, we're not really newspaper, news watchers type of group. We're mostly on other avenues. We get uh, our news from other avenues. So people 
I feel like legislators and lawmakers, I could be wrong, please correct me if I am, bank on our age group not paying enough attention to slide these bills on. And I feel like as young parents and young, young mothers and fathers, we need to pay more attention. We need to have these conversations. We need to spread this type of information because you're not, I mean, I'll just flat out say we aren't paying enough attention to these type of laws until it's too late. And then it's like, wow, when they were introduced, when they were in talk, nobody was talking about it. Now we're up in arms. And we could have did soon, but we weren't, just weren't having those right, conversations. And I, you know, I, I think the PTAs try to, but there's a real, and I understand that there's a real concern about, we don't want to be political. At the same time, we have to be a little political. I mean, because if we're not, someone else is going to. And so it's a matter of, you know, we elect people to represent us and we need to hold them accountable. And so when you have, when this, if this law had come up for a vote, I definitely was going to call my senator and say, don't you, don't vote for this. And I will say that lawmakers do pay attention to uh, how many, what the response is from their constituents. So even if you don't get a response back, oftentimes they'll have someone in their office counting up how many emails come in for a bill or against the bill. And so for those of you who think it doesn't matter, oftentimes it really does. So, and to make sure that you say, I'm your constituent. So they know you're a voter for them. You're not from some other district. So it's important that you do make sure that, that your representative knows, especially if it's something you feel strongly about. Right. So, um, but this bill didn't come up for a vote. So that, that's good at least. But yeah, these, uh, these, libra- these library book banning things, to be getting traction, particularly from the uh, kind of the right wing of the conservative party, and it's and it's about and it's around sex and a lot of times race. Mm-hmm. So that and that comes out of Texas. I mean, you start looking, oh, no. uh, you'll see their 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 books of concern are around those two issues. Not me being a native Texan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, we can't knock Texas too far because we're not too far away from it. So I was reading the paper and I caught a quote from, is it Sheila Mott, right? Shauna Mott, right. Shauna Mott, right. Where she said, they, meaning lawmakers, are trying to put kids in a tiny box that they think will protect them. But if they are successful, they will cripple the kids. And in the end, society will be worse off. This is what happens when you try to restrict what kids are exposed to. I guess my question for you, Jenny, is do you think that LGBTQ+, People of color, other students, and marginalized groups are caught up at all in formulation. That's a good question. Um, I do question, especially with the transgender issue, I don't think they know transgender people because there's not very many transgender people to begin with. But, you know, I, I personally know three students who have gone through that, and I'm, I'm deeply hurt by that legislation because they're... Um, they're basic. We're just we're going to discriminate against that group of children, and there's so few of them that it's definitely sent a signal. But you know, the uh, there is not diversity among our elected officials. Um, it's a little better at the local level um, when you look at school boards, uh, city councils. It's but at the state level, our legislature right now is 91 percent white. I think 22 percent oh, wow. women. Uh, there's one non-Christian 
and uh, I think one, one non-binary person. So we do not have that diversity that's informing them. I mean, so, and if you're in the, the one woman uh, who is non-binary and Muslim, she's been very upfront that she's not treated very well by her, co- her colleagues. So, you know, when you're surrounded by like-minded people who are, who are telling you the same thing, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, you, you're not hearing another side. And so when we talk about diversity, for me, race is a big part of it, but so is gender, so is religion. So are all these different facets of, of life that if you're not hearing their perspective, you can't really make decisions that are that inclusive. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose, but that's the reality of what we're seeing out of out of these bills is, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people just not included because they're not being heard on that, on the floor of the Senate, on the floor of the House, um, and at the ballot box. I mean, it's, it's, that's, and so, and I get every time we write about diversity, there's always, there's been bigger and bigger backlash for that among a certain group of people. But, you know, you look, what I'm looking at, what I think what Shauna was in that uh, quote, is that there's a lot of diversity coming up in the future generations. And our kids have to be prepared for that. Uh, our, all those kids need to have access to the kind of uh, programs and need to, ha- need to be involved in all these things. And we can't limit their exposure to things, even if it's stuff they disagree with, even if it's hard to, that's good. You know, I, I want kids to think, um, particularly as you're getting into the, the older ages and, um, they need to be ready for, for a diverse world that they're walking into. And that's diversity among all types of metrics. So, um, so my, I guess my, the quest, my answer to your question is, I don't know if they know who they know and who they don't know, but it certainly doesn't seem like uh, they're, they're embracing the, the concepts of DEI and the kinds of legislation that comes out of the legislature. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to move on to Senate Bill 1647, also known as the Oklahoma Empowerment Act. This bill was written by Greg Treats. Many Republicans in favor, many Republicans in the state are in favor of the bill, including Governor Stent. If passed, every parent will have a state-funded account for their children's education. The account can be used for private school tuition, homeschool fees and supplies, tutoring, computer, and books. To sum it up, parents would have the ability to choose where their kids receive an education without worrying about being able to afford it. This sounds appealing to many. However, there are concerns. Providing more funding to private schools will ultimately take away funds to public schools. Oklahoma is predominantly a rural area, meaning few private schools are available to a majority of the children in the state. Dre Heifmeister called the bill a killer for rural schools whose budget comes from state funding. Public schools in Oklahoma have been struggling for a while. So the question we have to ponder is, if passed, will this bill be helpful for teachers? Jenny? Um, well, the bill will certainly not improve public schools. I mean, we, we, I personally and our board uh, completely disagreed with, with the premise of this. The soundbite campaign around it was, we fund students, not systems, which is sort of ridiculous because everything's a system. We have the criminal justice system, the mental health system. So, of course, we have the public education system, and the, we, are, we are already at 46 in per pupil expenditure. And that reflects the classrooms, how much resources we're putting in classrooms. 
And if this bill was going to cost a minimum of 118 million up to about 165 million, and taking that away and putting it in private schools does not help public education. And what we need is more investment in public education, which is where 90% of public of kids attend. So if only 10% of the kids are in private schools, why would we be in why why should our tax money be used there? But the other issues, oh, and these are voucher bills. I mean, they, they can call it empowerment, you can call it savings accounts, but it's basically a voucher to give people to use at a private school. But the private school does not have to take everybody. So if your child, you know, for they don't even have to tell you why. They can just say, we're not going to take so they don't have to take everybody. They um, don't have to say where they spend that money. So they could take that voucher and say, you know what? We're going to use this on a fundraising event. We don't know. I mean, right now, public schools have a ton of transparency and oversight. So that's a big concern that we wouldn't know where the money goes. And there's no academic uh, oversight. So everyone assumes private schools are better. We have no idea. They don't take tests. They don't have any academic requirements. Um, they don't even have, there are some private schools that aren't even accredited by any ent entity. They're just open and, and that's fine. But if we're gonna use tax dollars for an education experience, we should at least know, is that, it, are they getting a quality education? Because if they don't have, if we don't have any sort of oversight on that, then how do we know that kids, you know, get it, getting what they should? So. So, you know, ultimately, our tax money is supposed to support public services. That's what we collectively agree to. And we support, you know, public parks, public things. So to me, tax money for education should stay in public schools. And that's philosophically how I believe. And I think just for Oklahoma, we're not at a point where we have all this extra money to throw around. We've got to get our public schools up to a place where, you know, where they're performing well. and. And, and the state leaders are right that there are some struggling schools. Well, taking money and taking resources away from that school isn't going to improve them. If, if the lawmakers think that our public schools are failing, then it's their job to improve public schools, not to hurt it. So that, that's where I come from. And that, that, those, are our, those are my concerns on, on these types of voucher bills. Now, off whim, I always say people need to pay attention to why Oklahoma has a high incarceration rate and a low education rate. Pay attention to those numbers, people. Okay, the last bill I'd like to shine a light on is Seed Bill 1470. This is an act related to public schools creating the Students Religion Belief Protection Act. Under the proposed act, teachers can be sued $10,000 for teaching lessons or prompting material perceived as anti religious or in opposition to a student's religious belief. However, an important consideration is the bill does not state which student's religious beliefs will be protected under this law. Now I have to ask, did it, if Senate Bill 1470 is passed, the wording on this bill appears to be vague. Is there a reason why there wasn't direct specification in the writing of this bill? It leaves room for misinterpretation. Was that intentional, the thought? I mean, I think you, you hit it on the head. I, you know, I, uh, I'm not as familiar with this bill, but I know it didn't get any traction. But anytime, uh, anytime a lawmaker writes a vague bill under, I'm going to, you know, protect religion in schools, I'm already leery of. Because, you know, what the law says, what it's based, 
what all the court decisions have said is that the a public school cannot uh, force a religion on children or, or students. Like a teacher can't get up and say, we're going to pray or we're going to do, if you're Catholic, we're not going to say the rosary or, or whatever. But students can always form their own clubs. I think every school in this city has some sort of, uh, like in my, in my kid's school, it's Eagles. I mean, they've got like Eagles for Christ, Fellowship for Christian Athletes, and I think there's one more. So so kids can pray in school. Kids can uh, absolutely, you know, exercise their freedom of religion in schools. What, what schools can't do is say, okay, we're going to have uh, a Bible study class and this is going to be it. So, so I, I already reject the notion that, you know, kids can't pray in school because they do it every day. I, I see it in public schools every day. So this is, these kind of bills just strike me as uh, grandstanding. And, you know, unnecessary, you know, no one's being denied their faith when they, you know, they want to sit down and pray over their lunch. They can absolutely do that. So. Um, so, yeah, I think you you sort of you cut on pretty quickly that it's vague. It could be used for misinterpretation. And so I just kind of look at those kind of things as grandstanding and nothing more. For the young parents listening, what do you think they should what do you think they should be considering when they are learning about these bills? Are there any long-term implications that will develop if these bills that were mentioned above were passed? Oh, there's a lot of implications. And I, 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 I am so glad that you are reaching out to young parents because like we talked about earlier, so often these things get passed and then people are upset and, and, and it drives me crazy. But the voucher bill, that's 1647, that will come back up. That there's been, and there was a lot of outside interest in this. So there were a lot of Washington, D.C. lobbyists, a lot of conservative groups that put money and energy into Oklahoma to get this bill passed. And it didn't, but only by about two votes. Um, And that's going to come up again and again, because I think they're looking at this almost as a testing ground for this kind of voucher bill. That because they look at Oklahoma as a very conservative state, we can be the first to do this. And it would have significant ramifications. And it's all around school choice. And I'm for school choice. But I think our districts have, they were slow on this, but they're now getting more choice. Now we have charter schools. We have virtual schools. We have open transfers. There are a lot of options out there. And for parents who want to do private schools, private schools are, you know, offering scholarships on their own. They've got foundations. So School choice is out there, but this one's going to be coming up more and more. Um, but yes, I the there's and there's always something that comes up that I, I I never expected banning books to be an issue, but it is now. So and that comes from national talking points like people who watch you know Fox News all the time or MSNBC. It's the same you know those national talking points drift down to us, and so. I would suggest young parents sort of get involved in their PTAs as much as they can in their local school, because a lot of the, and and so that way you can get the newsletters of bills, you know, just kind of keep in touch with, uh, you know, what your, you know, what your school board's doing. I mean, our school board has a lot of, of impact and things. So a lot of these bills will come back up and there'll be something new, uh, you know, diversity, um, equity, and inclusion. That has become a trigger for some lawmakers, and they're just really freaked out about it. They don't know about it, 
They don't understand it, but it's freaking them out. So, um, you know, be aware of that. There's going to be, I'm already seeing some anti-DEI kind of laws come out. And and I think as parents, especially if you're a, a person of color, a person of a different, a minority faith, uh, you know, talk about it. Try, because I think I truly, I'm an optimist by by nature. And I truly believe that as we sort of talk to each other and meet each other and share experiences, we can learn. That's my, when I talk about diversity and where I want more diversity among our public leaders, that's why, because I want our lawmakers to meet people that's different from them, who are different. So we, so they can understand how these laws affect everyday persons. So you know, as far as young parents go, I know that life is crazy. I get it. But if you can just sign up for your PTA newsletter, you know, so that way, if you can't make a meeting, maybe you can read the minutes, you know, uh, get, you know, on your social media, maybe put the Tulsa World on your social media or some sort of other state newspaper that covers education. Start following maybe the Oklahoma PTA on your Twitter something. So that way you can, even if you can't be at meetings and you don't have that time, you're at least getting news of what bills are out there. So just try to be mindful on, on your social platforms to be able to find groups that can get you the information you need. In your opinion, what bill should we be watching for current? Well, the, you hit the biggest one. The 1647 was a big one. And even though that got voted down in the Senate, the session is not over. Nothing is completely dead until the gavel hits in May. So it could pop up in a different bill. It could uh, come back up. But there's such a big push for these private school vouchers that that, I think, is the one that most could be the most damaging for for public schools um, at this point. But I'm most concerned right now of the budget negotiation because there's a Oklahoma is sitting pretty good on the budget. So I'd like to see how much is going to go toward education, particularly to get the per pupil expenditure higher, but also for mental health, because we have huge mental health needs. And I would love to see some collaboration that they're talking about that would put mental health counselors in schools. I mean, there are things like that, that I would love to see our lawmakers encourage more. So that way it's not all on the backs of schools because these kids that come to schools with mental health needs, and it's more and more, um, they can get the help right there. I mean, schools are are community centers. So let's bring people from these other agencies there to to be supporters. So I'd like to see more with mental health. And ultimately, that brings down our prison rate, because our prison rate is just ridiculous. Um, It's just, and, and I think a lot of that are struggles. We have a lot of families that are struggling. And so we need help with, you know, you know, even parenting classes, there are, we need childcare. I mean, you guys know we need affordable mm-hmm. childcare. So why not create more after school programs so working parents don't have to, you know, break the bank and, and trying to get two or three hours to watch their kids in quality care. So there are all kinds of issues like that, that as parents, I think you need to start talking to your lawmakers about, like, I want to be able to work more hours, but I need you to help support after school programs. I need, you know, my kid is having issues and we can't find mental health services. So back all those mental health programs. So, um, and so the, and as far as specific bills, those numbers change. 
And so that's why I would suggest, you know, on, on your social media following groups that, that follow those things, whether it's the Oklahoma PTA, the Oklahoma Mental Health Association, um, you know, there are lots of criminal justice type groups and they're often putting things, they'll follow it for you. And then you, you can kind of keep up with it. So I can't really mention a specific bill because it'll change tomorrow. <laughs> but those are the general issues that I'm looking for. No, I appreciate this information. It was stuff I needed to hear. So I know that our listeners needed to hear it as well. But Jenny, you said something really, really important that, that struck me. Um, you said joining the PTA so that we get this information. And I'll be the first to admit, and I tell my students all the time, I don't have a dog in the fight. We're graduating May 17th, and that's the last bell baby that we have to put through the school system. However, because I work with these young parents, I think it's vitally important that we get this information to them. I have not seen any discussion come out of our PTA or communication out of our school system that references the legislation and the issue. So is there a source? And I was in a meeting last week about um, our new superintendent and what we needed in the superintendent, we had five parents there. Where is the source that we can ensure that these young people get this information? Because I might be a teen parent today, but in five years, my kid is inheriting. Mm-hmm. So I need to start learning this information now. I bring up ICAP in meetings and this, the the leadership has a blank look on their face or it's either i don't know about it or how do you know about it you know it's uh-huh. it's we come in for back to school night we learn how to log into power school we learn how to pay lunch but we really don't get a lot of information that we need to where where do we start to get the it, information it is hard and, and ptas are run differently and that's like i've been involved in some ptas that are highly involved and where we end up finding about legislation is talking at the meeting. There's a real fear right now, I, I think, because in, in schools, what you're trying to do is you're just trying to get that carnival off the ground to raise money for school. So you don't want to like get really political. So a lot of those PTAs, they just won't bring it up because they don't want to make each other mad. So to them, a, a PTA, they're just focused on getting the popcorn on Fridays covered. So they're maybe not as politically active. In uh, school administration, they they don't because they're they're working. You know that you know that would be a, a crossing the line. I would start with you know the, the toll, like the the unions or the like the the Tulsa um, uh, the TCTA Tulsa Classroom Teachers Association, which Shauna Mott Wright I believe is either the vice president or president. They put out a lot of information uh, tracking bills. The Oklahoma School Boards Association. They track bills. They have someone who that's all they do is track bills. Um, trying to think of other groups that uh, the Oklahoma PTA, the state level, they do advocacy at that level. The local levels don't as much, I've noticed. Uh, even in my groups, you know, they they just, we have a lot of different opinions and you're just trying to get along. But um, But sometimes like that teacher walkout, I mean, that that came about because local PTAs got involved. But that that was such a Herculean effort and things were so bad that I mean, it just took so much. And that was led by um, 
<clears throat> I forget which group sort of led that, but it was a parent. It, it came out of the parents. But those are some groups to start following. And also just kind of maybe just get to know your principal a little bit because the principals might be hearing things through the, the not a, pos- a position necessarily, but at least the bills that they're concerned about or that would have a big effect on them. So, um, but you're right. I have found that, especially in this sort of uh, divided climate, there are some people that just don't want to deal with it. Like we were going to, at our PTA, have the school board candidates come and talk to us. And there were a couple of parents that were just mad about it. Like, no, we don't want any politics. Even though the PTA, that's a perfect place to have school board candidates speak. But because everyone just wanted to get along, we decided not to have it. And so we, I, I think we're going to have to get past that and get to the point where we've got to have these conversations and, it, and get through these differences to a common goal. Because just avoiding it gives people empower unchecked power. So so if your local PTA isn't that involved legislatively, you might try uh, looking at, and they all have active Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts, um, and, the, and those kind of places. Some of them might have Instagram, but I really don't, that's not really the best platform for that. So that's where I would start. But I also want to say, there's one thing you said just now, you said that your last bell baby is going through and you have a dog. I would disagree. I think education affects everyone, if anything, and I've t- I say this to, to lawmakers who might be anti-public education or whatever, if we're trying to get businesses in Tulsa, because we want to get Tesla here, we want to get these big companies, the first thing they do is they look up your local schools. Because if they're going to bring employees here, they want to make sure the kids of employees can be in schools that are good. So if you wonder why Tulsa misses out to Austin or Colorado, part of that is the schools. And you're, we're never going to land those big kind of companies unless you, we invest in our schools. So it's a huge economic issue just from a you know business recruiting in. So, uh, and there are a lot of people who get it. Don't get me wrong. But, but I would say, yeah. And, and just that, you know, these are kids that are going to live in our community. We want to give them the best we can. I mean, just from a moral responsibility, obviously. So, so that's an argument I, I, I use too, is just, you want to get business here, you know, give their employees a, a good place to put their kids. So. I love that. I like when you said unchecked power. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start using that. You, you know, Jenny, I have to agree with you because here in my office, I have a four month old baby over here in the crib because Brianna brings her baby into work with her on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday so she can study, so she can prepare for the podcast, um, so that she can have an opportunity just to to get out of the house and breathe. And all of my clients have children. So you're right. I I have a lot of children, (laughs) Uh, many, 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 many more than just my biological children. So I received that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I know you're, 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 you're in, I don't have to lecture you, but I know that you meet people that have to be convinced. So, you know, I wish more businesses did that. I mean, that the childcare is a huge issue. And when lawmakers were, uh, you know, they're, they're concerned about a work workforce shortage right now, like where are the workers? Well, where is the childcare? Where's the transportation? That's the question. And so I go, you know, it's not in, and I completely reject the idea of lazy workers. No. We have been ignoring some basic infrastructure needs for years. 
And what this pandemic did was it's created one of the, the unusual things about this recession was a lot of baby boomers said, we're done. We can retire. We don't have to go back to work. So they aren't. So now all those things that we avoided, we can't avoid anymore. We're going to have to really start looking at childcare, aftercare programs. Transportation's huge. You know, it's when we talked about that voucher bill and we, some people were arguing for it, saying, well, this is equity. This will give. No, because I know kids in public schools that I'm giving them a ride every day home. But even if they had a voucher to get into private school, they don't have transportation to get there. So that's an obstacle. So, you know, they, they need help with food, you know, so they don't have, you know, free child, you know, nutrition programs in private schools. So when we talk about DEI issues, I mean, that's, that's also what I'm talking about. All these things we've ignored, we've got to actually deal with now. Well, you, you bring up a very good point for us here at James, you know, we work with unexpected, uh, excuse me, we work with expecting and parenting adolescents. 13 to 24 is our target. However, 19 to 31 is our sweet spot. And there are, we've had to be really creative. A lot of our program takes place at eight o'clock at night because that's enough time for mom to get home, feed babies, get them in bed, and take just that one hour to focus on something else. And um, and that's also a way to eliminate the transportation issues. But then also a lot of our clients work non-traditional hours. And so, or they need to go to a school or a GED program that involves non-traditional hours. Well, you can't do that without daycare because when kids get out of school at two and you have a six o'clock class, you still have those four hours of time that you need to have affordable and, and good daycare. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And, and my other contention, Jesse, and I'm going to get off the phone, is that my young people, that 18 to that, that group of children, that when you look at the data, they are lumped into 18 and up, 18 to 65. So, but because they are adolescents, 18 to 25 or 26, their issues are totally and completely different. So part of Brianna's uh, process is to talk to someone about why, why are we not specifically talking about this adolescent parenting population in different ways than we're talking about other populations, because it is different. Oh, I agree. And I would much rather see conversations around that at our state capitol. Like, what are we doing to help that group of parents make their lives more successful? What are we doing to help self-sufficiency within that group of people? Because parenting is hard. It's hard at any age. And I was a parent late in life. I was in my mid-30s. I cannot, and my mom was 19. <laughs> so, so she was, and it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard at any age, but to be young, I think is even harder because you're trying to get your education done at the same time you're trying to be a parent. And I can I cannot imagine the the kind of parent guilt maybe you feel by, well, gosh, I wish I could pick my kid up at after school, but I can't because I'm doing this. So what what can we do to help parents, you know, feel 
feel better about their parenting because I'm telling you, you're good parents. I mean, finishing an education, I think, is its own role model. Um, but we we can certainly, as a state, make it more affordable, make it a little easier, and be more supportive. So, um, and so that's why I think parents need to support parents. That's why you know, at the local PTA, if I have if there is a parent that need kid needs a ride, yeah, I'm I'm there because they're going to be there for me. But we need to do something more systemic um, because the the cost of childcare is it's unaffordable. I mean, there you have to bring your baby to work because you can't afford it. It's just it literally it's it's like and that that shouldn't be. You you should have more options. And we spend so much time and energy talking about banning books or whatever that it's like it's not going to help anything. So I I would much rather lawmakers meet that 18 to 25 year old mother um, trying to get ahead to find out what you need, because I don't think they know too many in that group um, because that group's busy. I mean, you know, you don't think, hey, I need to sit down and I need to get because you, you don't you, you just it's not something that's on the radar. You don't you barely have that one hour a day. Um, and so what I would suggest, and this is a good thing, is just email. You don't have to necessarily go up to the Capitol. You don't have to do anything. But in that hour, if you can go, you know what? I'm just really irritated that we don't have affordable childcare. I'm going to take five minutes, write an email to my senator, and send it off. And you can find that email online. So, and sometimes a lawmaker might reach out and say, "Hey, I got this constituent who says she can't find aftercare, and you know she can't get this job. Maybe, maybe that person will call. Maybe not. But you know, it, it'll at least start down that road of establishing some sort of, you know." education because we have to educate our lawmakers and representatives of what we're going through so um but a huge issue that became apparent to me is that we we want these young people to be civically minded but civics right. isn't a required course <laughs> in high school. yeah every time you yeah it's like math reading can't teach anything else yeah. um but you're right you're right that i kids need to know how to be civically involved and voting is important it's very important but you also want to be an educated voter. And so some of these, you know, curriculum issues, kids bring these issues to school. So parents, so saying, you know, schools can't teach anything about sex or can't teach any direct, you know, talk about race. It's like, well, kids are bringing this to school. Schools need to be prepared to handle that. And, you know, when you have Black Lives Matter marches, teachers need to know how to address that because kids see it. They want to put things in perspective. And then, the, and then I think that's what gets people civically involved is, well, why, why is this happening? Why, why are these people attacking the Capitol? You know, it's, we have to be able to discuss current events in, in a deeper way, especially for older people, older kids who are, who are interested in that. Um, but, you know, to be, but you're right. I mean, the civics, I, I agree. Seeing what my kids are getting, it, it's not enough. And I think there's a fear. I think every time these lawmakers pass these laws, like House Bill 1775 last year that said you can't teach what CRT or race in schools, that has a chilling effect. I mean, they weren't doing it anyway, but I think teachers that are already a little skittish, they're just going to say, you know what, we're not going to talk about it. Well, that doesn't do anyone any good. You know, a kid comes to class and they're wanting to talk about uh, Black Lives Matter or want to talk about some of the rally and the teacher just says, nope. I can't do it because the law says I can't. Well, that's not preparing our kids. That's not helping them be civically minded. So 
So yeah, all those laws make me uncomfortable because I don't think it's preparing them. Um, and 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 for young people to to all of a sudden learn that it is hard. And so that's why I kind of, but they are all online, right? I mean, everyone's using social media. So I think if we can at least encourage people to start following those groups that are following that kind of thing, maybe that will help. I mean, that's one thing I would just suggest. Just dip your toe in because I get being busy. Well, I'm going to unhijack Brianna's show. The last thing I will say, though, is a shameless plug because Brianna did a fantastic podcast um, session with Carlisha Williams around. Oh, Carlisha's great. I love her. I would encourage everyone to go back and look at that podcast. All right. Again, thank you so much for being here today and providing insight for myself and all the listeners listening. We appreciate you and the work that you do, and we value the information that you gave us. Thank you. Well, thank you. This is a very important podcast, and um, I hope more people listen to it. It was was a privilege. (laughs) Thank you.